0: welcome to clockworks a legion podcast i'm paul Moffat.
1: i'm jan moffitt
0: and we have a lot of thoughts about this show like so many that we have like a legion of thoughts and things to say like okay no. because, because no. it's about paul, legion no. No, paul. and our thoughts no. are also okay well this uh, this week we are talking about season three episode three Chapter 22 of Legion, and we are calling this episode, She Comes in Colours, again. This episode of Legion was written by Nathaniel Halpern and directed by John Cameron. Nathaniel Halpern, we know well, we saw him last in Chapter 20, 2,000 Light Years from Home, which he co-wrote with Noah Hawley. John Cameron has been an executive producer of Legion since the beginning, all three seasons, As a director, he directed an episode of Fargo. Uh, He directed Season 3, Episode 3 of Fargo, actually, by coincidence. Hmm, interesting. That, if you know Fargo, that's the one with the I Can Help robot. Ooh. Which is a particularly good episode of Fargo.
1: It is.
0: Uh, And he has previously directed one episode of Legion. He directed Chapter 14, I Am Superman, which is the one with the multiple potential realities which is hmm. also a particularly good episode of Legion. And we can see, I think, a similarity between that episode and this one. Absolutely. So I don't know what whether that is as the executive producer, he sees an episode and is like, ooh, I like this one, I call it. <laughs> or whether he's called upon to direct it. Because, but in any case, it seems like there's something in common in the episodes that he directs. He also has one episode of Xena and one episode of Hercules.
1: (laughs) Awesome. Awesome. (laughs) Love it.
0: So do you want to take us through the beat by beat
1: on this episode of Legion? I sure do. This episode starts with baby David lying in his crib, watched over by his mother, Gabrielle. She sits at a table and writes a letter with flashes of herself in a wheelchair. We see Charles leave and her calling David her beautiful boy. Later, she lies in bed and thinks about a conversation she had with Charles. He talks about finding someone like him in Morocco and promises to return. While in bed, we see and hear David of the present superimposed Mm -hmm. over her. She wakes as if she can hear it. And then in a dream or dreamlike state, she goes outside to find a door in the middle of her walkway. She walks around it and pushes it, but we don't see it open. Gabrielle reads Harold and the Purple Crayon to Baby David. He has a doll of the angriest boy in his crib. Downstairs, Charles has built a helmet which tunes into Farouk's voice. Charles sees visions of Farouk and then of the devil with yellow eyes.
0: So we begin immediately with Gabrielle uncertain about her reality. Mm. Right? Like yeah. The first thing that she says, not the first words, but the first sentence she says is, you know, am I still there? <laughs> there we learn pretty quickly, meaning the mental hospital. hmm. Are you still in my head, Charles? And I, I actually don't... Doubt the reality of Gabrielle's house and baby and crib. I think that what we're seeing here is what's real. Um, Although there's room for, like, I don't doubt it, but there's room for some doubt by the end of the episode.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: But I think that this is really what's real. But my point, what I think is so interesting, is that she doubts it. Mm-hmm. She is uncertain when the episode starts of what is real. Mm-hmm. And this is, like, both... Relevant for the whole show, like, it's been David's experience throughout, it's often Sid's experience, it's pretty much always our experience as the audience. Yeah. And it's, like, again, like, we'll talk through this, I, I assume it'll come up again in our conversation through this whole episode, but, like, all three seasons of this show have one of the major ideas and themes has been mental illness. Mm-hmm. And here we have a different experience of mental illness, and it has the same... Like, we establish immediately that Gabrielle's mental illness different from David's. Very different from David's, but still... Uh, we're representing it as she... is uncertain about the reality of the world and how to react with it. And that's mental illness, but it's also interaction with... Psychic mutants.
1: Yes. Even good,
0: even well-intentioned ones.
1: Well, I mean, and let's get into as well that, like, this episode starts with baby David and his parents and just jumps straight into it. We don't get a slow, like, David figuring out how to go back in time. He slowly goes back in time. He arrives at his childhood room, blah, blah, blah. Nope. Just straight into it. Yeah. There's no delaying. And I quite like that.
0: And we have, like, you mentioned... That we see David, present David, superimposed. I didn't notice that the first time I watched this. Um, and it's like, we we start without... Yeah,
1: there's like, kind of disco-y kind of music. Yeah. And David is there. Yeah. But yeah, it's very subtle at the beginning of the episode.
0: Um, maybe I was just looking down the first time. Very but...
1: possible. Mm-hmm. Very possible.
0: But like... Through the whole episode, there's very little of... We're jumping ahead, but through the whole episode, there's very little of David. There's no David or no present David right at the very beginning. Mm -hmm. We're starting in this other timeline with these other characters. You and I both knew because we watched the casting news who these actors were playing. But if you didn't... Like, I mean, maybe it's a reasonable guess to make. But, but it's a disorienting opening, not just for the character, but for uh, the viewers.
1: hmm Exactly.
0: And I also, I really like uh, what you said about, and this is, again, maybe a comment on the whole episode, not just these few minutes, but a different show would absolutely have an episode in between this one, in between the last one and this one. yeah Where Dave and Switch figure out how time travel works, Carrie builds the machine they try it they succeed and then he plans to go and they the pacing on this show sometimes uh they just skip it all
1: yeah exactly
0: like let's just get to the good part mm-hmm. i really like that
1: yeah me too so we see this cra- this dream that she has yes she is like in her house she hears something she walks down and we're not really clear that it's a dream until it's like there's this random doorway in the middle of her walk but the thing that clues us in immediately as legion watchers is the sound cue mm-hmm. the soon as she go starts walking towards her entranceway, it's the devil with the yellow eyes sound it's the j- discordant jazz yep notes <laughs> and and so like if you've been watching this show all along that just like that sound immediately- cues you to like be nervous, yes, and I mean even i guess even if you haven't been watching that show it it's an unsettling music cue, so what looks like a very it's a very you know sunny scene, it's not scary at all, yeah, the music makes it so,
0: yeah, for sure, and like okay you, oh. Do you want to talk about it? Because I have different things to ask and say about two things that you just brought up, and I don't care about what order. Should we talk about the music from the future first, or the door first?
1: Mm, Let's talk about the door. I have thoughts about that door.
0: So you said just now, is it your reading that this is a dream? Yes. That wasn't clear to me. I didn't...
1: Well, I mean, that door doesn't exist... In yeah the other scenes that take place in the front of their house,
0: yeah, but we've seen lots of examples of reality distortion
1: okay, yeah, I guess
0: so I really wondered i'm now i'm now I didn't think that was a dream, but that doesn't now I'm wondering whether it is, and I'm wondering whether it matters,
1: yeah, I suppose it doesn't matter.
0: this is one of the things from about Legion from the very beginning. From the first episode, the pilot, is like, we have mutants with the ability to change the world. And we have a close point of view from the perspective of people whose perception of the world isn't necessarily trustworthy. And we have a stylized and surreal film. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And so, any one of those registers could be happening at any given time and we're never quite sure. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: So, I don't know what the door. Is, And I'm not totally convinced that it isn't real, but even if, whether it's real or not, it's, uh, something, like, I don't know. Whether it's real or not, I'm not really sure it matters. And there's two ways of thinking about it. One is from the perspective inside the show, like what is happening to this character? Yeah. And the other is like when, uh, Nathaniel Halpern and John Cameron filmed that scene what was that accomplishing for the for them i don't really have answers to either
1: (laughs) well i think that within the world this is part you know if it's not a dream that doorway has been put there by farouk somehow and it's like a way that he's entering yeah in in uh in symbolic terms this show is just full of doors. We have exits and entrances and hallways and doors everywhere. It's um, we've talked in the past about liminal spaces, between spaces. That's really where this show likes to dwell, is an mm-hmm. in-between space, and the door is that. What I love about this door in particular is Gabrielle's interaction with it. Is she comes out of the house, she sees a doorway unconnected to anything and she goes around it Mm -hmm. she doesn't immediately open the door and go through it she goes around it and we don't actually see her ever open it we assume that maybe she does because she touches it but I uh, really enjoy that just that um, interaction she has with it because she's she's not necessarily interacting with it as a crazy person or insane person or whatever no. She's interacting with it as, like, there's an object in my uh, front walkway that didn't used to be there.
0: Yeah. And I think, like, okay, what what you say, this show is all about doorways, or this show has a uh, continued, ongoing uh interest in imagery of doors and doorways mm-hmm. and liminal spaces. And like I was saying a second ago about mental illness, and mental illness is symbolically a liminal space. Yeah. Uh especially the kind of mental illness that both David and Gabrielle suffer from, which is some kind of delusion where they're unsure about reality. Mm-hmm. Well that itself is a liminal in-between space. Are they Especially when they're questioning their reality, right? They're not yeah. fully immersed in a delusion. Neither are they fully uh, aware of reality. They're somewhere in between. And the doors, like, I think of three doors, especially... Like, I think of two other doors, especially, as being important. And one is the door in the mental clockworks that leads to David's past. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That Lenny walks through when she's the Shadow King. And the other, of course, is the door that uh, Switch keeps drawing.
1: It mm-hmm. leads
0: into the hallway and Yeah. that has a bunch of doors, but I think of those as all the same door in symbolic terms. And this door is kind of like both of those things. Like, it's a door that symbolizes Gabrielle's uncertainty, her mental illness, her disconnection from the reality around her in the same way that the door in Mental Clockworks did. Mm-hmm. And also, like, she. Op- we don't see her open it, you're right. But she walks towards it, presumably to open it. And then what's the next shot? Her in the hospital, mm-hmm. which is her past. So the door is a doorway to her past.
1: And these these scenes are filmed in such a way that we're going back and forth in time. We're going in, like, Gabrielle and Charles' time. We are experiencing things in a very nonlinear way. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that's... Uh, I think that's how David is perceiving it. Just... From his... Like, if he's time-traveling to the past, he's... He he's seeing what we're seeing.
0: Yeah, I think you're he's right. He's seeing
1: her go to touch the door and then in the past.
0: And that's what we saw when David and uh Pytonymy and Melanie were in David's memory, remember?
1: Right. And yeah. we're jumping
0: from time to time in his memory, and the cuts are like there there aren't cuts.
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: <laughs> Nothing has happened in between the shots. Yeah. And so that's why I think like the doorway is a doorway to her past. But what I'm still not sure of is like, yeah, was that a dream? Did she physically walk in through a door to her past? And if not, and if she did physically walk there, who put the door there? Switch? Like you said Farouk, which I think is probably
1: I'm only likely. saying that because later on the windows on that door are her front door and that's where Farouk is coming in through. Yeah. There's a red light and stuff.
0: But I wonder whether that door might be the door that Switch draws, just it's right. a different shape because reality is different in the past and whatever.
1: Yeah, that's possible.
0: The other thing I want to talk about right on top of this is the music from the future. Mm-hmm. We hear this through the entire episode. It. I'll talk about what song it is at the end of our episode. But uh, why didn't Gabrielle hear music... From David's timeline. Like, does that mean...
1: No, I think we see throughout the episode that his time is bleeding into hers. Yeah.
0: Because what we've seen... He's not
1: observing. He's there.
0: Yeah. What we've seen in the past, in the last episodes, the way that Switch's power worked before was she, like, bodily walked through a door and came out bodily in the past Mm -hmm. that's very different from what we're seeing here where switch and david are like projecting the future into the past but uh non-corporeally yeah so there's snatches and ghost-like projections but it's not just them it's david's entire timeline yeah right yep that's maybe the result Like, I don't know. Is that the result of going further in the past? That's what Switch says. But it might also be Carrie had to expand Switch's powers. Mm -hmm. And maybe the result of expanding is he expanded it more than he meant to. And the whole world is coming back with them instead of just them.
1: Yeah. I think that might be true. Or all of David, at least.
0: All of David. Also... This, this episode jumps around in time, it's non-linear, the future is bleeding in, but also uh, the past of this TV show Legion is bleeding into this episode. Yes. And there's lots of examples of that, and one of the first ones is Gabrielle sleeping and we hear crickets. Mm-hmm. And that would be so innocuous in any other show, but in the context of Legion, it you know, it makes me think of the crickets uh, in the headphones that Lenny puts on Sid's ears in the mental clockworks.
1: Yeah, exactly. We definitely have an association with crickets in this show. It's the the sound cues again and again in this mm-hmm. episode are going right back to season one, right back to episode one. Yeah. Um, including season one when... Uh, Charles puts on what is like obviously a proto version of Cerebro yep. and finds Farouk. Uh his face goes all red, there's all this red light, and it's very similar to in the second last episode of the first season where David has a thing on his head and there's like the hands that wrap around his face and yeah. everything is all red, light and and stuff, and that's what we're looking at again.
0: Well and we haven't seen The Shadow King manifest as the devil with yellow eyes in a long time. No, exactly. But we get the red light and the horn cue and the devil with yellow eyes. And it's all very first season. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And what's okay, speaking of that, of Charles seeing Farouk. uh, Even though this is a flash backward in time, it implies that contact with Farouk damages. Okay. No, let me rephrase that. When charles uh senses Farouk through the through cerebro, he senses not just Farouk but the Shadow King, the devil with yellow eyes, the like scariness, right Mhm and then immediately we jump to him in the mental hospital, yeah, and that's a flashback, but it also the way it's cut and put together implies that contact with Farouk damages Charles
1: hmm, yes, that's true.
0: I don't think that's the literal causality in Charles's timeline. Yeah. But in the way that we see the show, Charles meets Farouk and then he's in a mental hospital.
1: Mm Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah, absolutely. One last thing about this section. Gabrielle is reading uh, Harold and the Purple Crayon. She is. That comes up actually again later. uh, David is reading it. So Harold and the Purple Crayon, unlike... The Angriest Boy in the World Gets Angry, or whatever that book was called. (laughs) Uh, Harold and the Purple Crayon is a real book. Mm -hmm. It was written by Crockett Johnson in 1955. Classic children's book about a little boy who uh, can't find the moon and goes on this journey. And the whole journey is him drawing things with a purple crayon and interacting with those things. And I think that uh, this isn't just a random book that they chose. this book is about someone who creates the world around them yes this book is about someone who can shape reality yes and that is david that is a similar power that david has and we have her reading it to him and in his crib with him is the puppet, or not not a puppet, a doll of the angriest boy. Okay, can I interrupt you just for a second, just to say, (laughs) Please don't put a doll like that in with your child.
0: No wonder he has issues. (laughs) I like when we were watching this, and then we're like, The angriest boy in the world, it's an actual doll. She actually gave it to him.
1: Ah, 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 ah." Yeah, exactly. Sorry, carry on. So (laughs) so that's in the crib with him. (laughs) While he's getting Harold and the Purple Crayon read to him. Yep. So I feel like... Those two things, that book and that doll got conflated to the Angriest Boy in the World book Hmm. in his memory. And that's why he thinks that book exists, is that's his vague memory of it and Hmm. corrupted by Farouk. The real
0: book was Harold and the Purple Crown.
1: Yeah. And also, okay,
0: you say it's not a random book, like it has meaning for the show. Mm Mm-hmm. It's not even just a random part of that book. Mm. Because what part of Harold and the Purple Crayon does she read to him? First, she says he didn't want to get lost in the woods. So he made a very small forest. Yeah. And I feel like both Gabrielle and David are lost in the woods.
1: Yeah.
0: That's like, lost in the woods is both literal, but it's also a cliche. a A cliche metaphor about... You know, being metaphorically lost from your emotional grounding. Mm -hmm. So Gabrielle without Charles is lost in the woods. Gabrielle maybe with Charles is lost in the woods. And David is lost in the woods in this whole season and most of last season. Right? Yeah. And then the other thing is uh, he makes a dragon.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Harold makes a dragon. So, this episode is mostly about uh, Gabrielle. But if we look at it from the season plot, from the series plot, if we look at it from David's perspective, this episode is about David going back and trying to stop the monster from uh, from attacking him. Yeah. But the story that Gabrielle reads is about the boy creates the monster. Yeah. And it scares him. Mm-hmm. He creates the thing that scares him. Does that suggest that David Or Charles? Or I don't know.
1: That it's timey for... wimey <laughs> Yeah, exactly.
0: Uh I don't know whether I don't actually I started saying this and, like I don't think that David made Farouk. But uh Harold made the dragon. hmm Harold made the dragon that frightens him.
1: All right, moving on. Moving so, on. Earlier in the timeline, Charles is in a mental hospital. He sits with a doctor who reads him Heidegger. Charles hears the doctor's thoughts, calling him a useless lad. He walks the halls, observing patients, and sees Gabrielle for the first time. She's catatonic in a wheelchair, holding a box. But he sits beside her and reads her mind, hearing the sounds of war. When he asks a nurse about her, he finds out she's from the camps. Again, flashes of David's world are superimposed over this one, Well, this time while Charles sleeps. He gets out of bed and finds himself in a forest. In a dreamlike state, he walks to a hole in the ground and goes down it. He is now dressed as a soldier and finds an enemy under the ground. They fight, and and Charles influences his enemy to kill himself. Once again, the sounds of David's world enter, and we see him sitting with the others in his commune. Slash cult.
0: Slash cult. So, Dr. Monaghan, he has a name tag, and when you watch it with subtitles, it labels what his name is. That's the person who's reading to David from Heidegger. Dr. Monaghan reads from Heidegger. I have some thoughts about Heidegger. Mm-hmm. So I knew you would. <laughs> buckle in for a moment. So, Dr. Monahan reads, Every man is born as many men and dies as a single one. This quotation's about potential. It's about choice, which this entire season has been. And, I mean, timelines are about potential and choice. But... Heidegger probably didn't actually say this. In fact, I'm almost positive he didn't write it. Uh, It just doesn't sound like him at all. And when I looked it up, it's always cited to Heidegger without a specific book. So that's an interesting thing, too. But also, Heidegger's central work, his like big... He wrote lots of stuff, but his big work that... uh, his, His magnum opus is Sein und Zeit, which it means being and time. And in it, he asks, what is being? What is existence? And then he, I mean, okay, it's complicated. <laughs> <laughs> but he suggests that time is, an, is the essence of being. But he's definitely into choice and potential and destiny. So this quotation riffs on his ideas, I think, uh, though it, I just can't really imagine Heidegger saying something quite so pithy and quotable like he's he he, he doesn't talk in or write in sound bites at all. Mm-hmm. Um, but time is the central theme of this season so far, anyway, and this is Heidegger's big book is about time being in time, but also. Being in Time was planned to have two parts and each part to have three divisions. He only ever published the first two divisions of part one, but the point there is, that's what we call them. That's not me adding that. That's the standard language for Heidegger's book, Division One, Division Two. Really? Yes. What? Yes. Also, while we're talking about Heidegger, Heidegger was a Nazi?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: like literally a member of the Nazi party like uh absolutely a nazi mm-hmm. <laughs> like there were part there were times in his career where he was uh possibly he never actually became this, but he like possibly would have become the highest ranking person in the Nazi party higher even than Hitler like seriously he was a Nazi. Uh, if you're quoting Heidegger, it's happening after World War II. We can place it in time because of that.
1: Plus, the Harold and the Very Hungry Crayon was written in 1955.
0: The Very Hungry Crayon?
1: I didn't say that. Harold and the Purple Crayon. The Very Hungry Purple Crayon.
0: I'm just imagining now a book about a very hungry crayon, and it's <laughs> disturbing. Okay, sorry, I was that... so distracted by Very Hungry. When was it written? 1955. Okay. Okay.
1: So I mean, but we've had lots of things in the show that come out at various weird times. So that doesn't really mean anything. Plus, the weird thing about uh, the kind of flashback slash dream that we get from Charles is that his uniform his like helmet is very World War One. Hmm. Like that's a World War One helmet, not a World War Two helmet. And even like the Nazi or the soldier, the German soldier, he's speaking German, so he's German, uh who he ends up killing uh I paused like I like kept pausing on his uniform, being like, "Is this a Nazi uniform or not?" And there was a black cross on it, but that is just German, so it could be World War One or two. So then we're back to like it being unclear about what time it is.
0: What's the deal with that? What's the deal with that? Is like is that a memory? And mm. if so, is it Charles's memory?
1: Yeah, that is the question. It could not be Charles's memory at all. It feels like it's Charles's memory
0: because he uses his power. Mm-hmm.
1: But not necessarily.
0: But not necessarily. And like even if it is Like, the way that we have seen memories work and telepathy work and, like, it could be a memory and he's using his power in the memory, right?
1: Yeah. To alter the memory. That's true. That is very true. I just don't know, like, yeah. Because it's very dreamlike. Like, he parts the curtain from his bed and is straight into the forest. So obviously that's not reality. Yep. And then he walks and finds a hole in the ground, which, by the way, holes in the ground is very season two. Right. When there's a big hole in the ground. This one is just a lot more realistic. There isn't a plug for it. There isn't a plug and, like, (laughs) people in pink beanies. But there is uh, this, when he descends into the hole, he's dressed completely differently. It turns to, like, sepia, black and white... Mm-hmm. Again, it's, yeah, it's a very different world. And I wonder, like, if he can read minds and he's asleep, he very much, like, he could read the mind of the World War One soldiers that lying next to him, couldn't he?
0: Right. And is that door in the ground into, like, the cellar or whatever? Uh, I... Don't think that's a literal door, but is it leading into a memory, his own memory, someone else's mind, in the same way that the door in the in the courtyard outside the house? Like, I, I think you thought that was a dream, and I thought it might be literally there, but whether it's literally there or not, I feel like it led Gabrielle into her past. Mm-hmm. Charles's mm-hmm. door leads, I don't know... To his past or to someone's.
1: Yeah, I definitely see, like, this whole episode is about doorways to the past.
0: Right. Or into minds, Or into minds, But to the past, right? Yeah. Like, Switch and David, we don't really see go through a door, but... Yeah.
1: We kind of do later on. At the end, we haven't
0: yet. Uh, They go through a door to the past. Gabrielle goes through a door to the past. We don't see her walking through it. And now Charles, this door isn't necessarily to his past? I don't know. Mm-hmm. It's definitely the the past, though, right? Yeah. yeah. Where we are confident saying that?
1: <laughs> I'm fairly confident saying that. <laughs> I'm not confident with anything with Legion. That's the whole point. That's why we do this show.
0: When Charles kills that German soldier, it is both in self-defense, clearly in self-defense, but also so very unsettling.
1: Yeah, exactly. It is... I don't like it. I mean, I get it but it also it's intrusive and frightening and a frightening display of what his power could be and maybe that's what has driven him to the mental institution maybe is that he realizes that he wants to use his power to help people and doesn't know how
0: it feels like we're getting in this episode a picture of charles xavier that is uh far from unambiguously heroic. hmm Yes. And this is like, I think, even the most X-Men-y X men comics. Like, Charles is... Someone said long ago that... So for the listeners, <laughs> we have been interrupted so many times. This podcast is happening over several days. So... I'm going to maybe leave this in and say, let me try that again. Charles is not unambiguously heroic in this episode, what we see of him. So killing that German is creepy. And that's kind of in keeping with what we see of Charles through this whole episode. And even actually, is kind of in keeping with Charles's characterization in general. Like, even in the most X-Men-y x men comics, I remember years ago someone pointing out to me, Uh, I can't take credit for this thought, but I don't remember who told it to me, so I can't give credit for it either. (laughs) Telling me that Magneto and Professor X are like classic villain and hero archetypes reversed. So Magneto wears a cape and is all muscular and is uh, like a classic hero trope. And Charles Xavier is this like brain powers sitting in his chair using his team to manipulate the world but what if the villain was doing it for good and what if the hero was doing it for bad
1: Mm -hmm.
0: and i thought there you know both those characters are more complicated and nuanced than that but i thought that was a really fascinating insight and we see here with charles like he has good intentions Mm -hmm. (laughs) he i believe him when he says he wants to help but his powers are creepy And unsettling. And they're... Even Gabrielle is afraid of him and should be.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. She is... uh, We can't not point out that Gabrielle is in a wheelchair. And that Professor X... I mean, that Charles will eventually be in a wheelchair. Yeah. So to see this kind of reversal, when you know the comics trope, the comics history is... is, uh, definitely uh on purpose
0: yeah that's a really good i didn't quite see that but it's like uh it doesn't so much make him creepy as it's like he uh helping her he gets her out of the wheelchair and himself into it Mm -hmm. symbolically he like transfers his power to her not his like mutant power but like his uh yeah, I
1: don't know. I don't know, yeah, they get switched somehow.
0: And I don't think, I should I should say, being in a wheelchair is not uh, powerlessness, except in visual iconography, like, uh, he has mobility that she doesn't have, and then we know that that's going to be reversed. So, mm-hmm. like, I don't think actual, I don't think that that's an actual... Uh, Relative power thing, but I think it's a visual iconography of mobility, and that's interesting.
1: Mm-hmm. Hmm. We see more of David's uh, commune in this part. <laughs> cult. Yes, I keep calling it a commune. It's a cult. It's a cult. It's a cult. Uh, where like everything is kind of doubled over each other. So you have him, like, sitting in front of the people. The people are waving their arms, but everything is very, like, uh, double exposed in the camera work. And then it launches right into further forward in time in Charles and and Gabrielle's life again. Mm -hmm. Should I go into the next section, or do you have more to say?
0: Yeah, all I have to say more about this is that the flashing forward to David really draws attention to the color palette of charles and gabriel's past yeah. especially in the mental hospital mm-hmm. this is such a gray mental hospital and it's about the camera lens but it's also the costuming and the set design and if you compare it to clockworks uh the mental hospital from season one that was a very colorful mental hospital this yeah. is a very gray mental hospital a very gray world yeah and flashes of david's colorful future really make that especially obvious
1: yeah it's very striking so we go straight from david in the cult to to gabrielle sitting in front of a fire with charles who seems to hear the music mm-hmm. um in that flash of david in the cult he's reading harold and the purple crayon to his followers yep gabrielle Later is over top of David's crib, asking herself, who will David become? We see the familiar shots of his childhood from season one. And as she sits, David's voice echoes in the room, mommy. We hear him talking with Switch for the first time in a voiceover. Switch says she's never gone this far back. We see Gabrielle pacing around the house as voiceover David wonders why they're Here and what to do there's black smoke entering the house and then we're back in the mental hospital again charles is sketching gabrielle and voiceover david wonders why they're here voiceover switch says that the two times are linked charles opens the box that has been sitting in gabrielle's lap and in it is the doll of the angriest boy he enters her mind again and she comes out of her catatonic state and goes over to a window. David voiceovers that meeting in a mental hospital seems to run in the family. Gabrielle finally speaks, and they go get cherry pie. They talk about tomatoes. She asks about him being in her mind. He explains about telepathy, but it's that he has set his own rules about privacy. They fall in love in the hospital, holding hands, sketching, playing chess, eating pie, and dancing. They kiss on an outside balcony. In the night, we see flashes of Farouk as Charles lies in bed. Then Gabrielle joins him, and they talk about leaving the hospital. Charles makes it happen using his abilities. And as they leave the hospital, everyone salutes and applauds, and she comes in colors, plays.
0: So you notice in that first scene when they're both... Actually, I don't know <laughs> whether it's the first scene. It's the first thing I have in my notes. <laughs> yeah. The scene where they're both in bed and Charles is awake and Gabrielle is asleep. And as he closes her eyes, she opens hers. Mm-hmm. And this is symbolic that they are not in sync. Yeah. They are like ships in the night here. Yeah.
1: Yeah. It actually, the first scene is they're sitting in front of the fireplace and she hears yeah. it, so they're together. And it feels like, to me, like we said before, this is maybe as it's how it appears to David in what's happening. And so he is in the mental hospital with them. Or he's in sorry, he's in the mental hospital with Charles. And the sound's going over. And then suddenly he's with his mom and Charles together. Mm-hmm. And then suddenly he's back in the past again. Because the way he reacts to when they go back to the hospital, he's like, why are we back here? So it's like he's been watching it flip back and forth in the same exact way that we have yeah, as the audience.
0: And what does that mean these times are linked somehow?
1: Yeah, that is the question.
0: Because I think that definitely lends credence to your interpretation here. That like this is not just the show flipping back and forth. These times are linked somehow. How are they linked?
1: I don't know. It reminds me of Patonymy, when he's showing David his past, and they get to the part where David is thinking about meeting Dr. Poole, mm-hmm. and Switch just goes like... "Oh, am sorry. <laughs> Ptonomy just goes further into David's memory. So they just jump straight from one... Uses the memory of one time to jump into the memory of another. And I feel like that's what this is too. Is like, this is time travel, but it's jumping from one mem- from like a time that she's remembering.
0: And this is like, remember, Pateronomy used to say, I like to think of myself as a time traveler. Yes. And we said in the first episode of this season, time is a frame of mind. The past
1: maybe doesn't exist except in memory. Mm hmm. So. And maybe it's really significant that we've lost Patonomy then. Yeah. As, as that character. Yeah. We've lost our solid grounding to the past.
0: Yes. And Switch is kind of playing that role, but she comes at it from a different perspective completely. Mm hmm. Yeah.
1: Charles opening the box, and the, the doll is in it, is like, ooh, creepy. Yep. <laughs> Every time we see that doll, it's just like, you can't <laughs> help but get flashbacks of season one and just be creeped right out. <laughs> what is the deal? Gabrielle
0: gives her little speech about what are you going to be like? Mm-hmm. Who are you going to grow into? Um, and she says, when will you learn the truth? The world is an ugly place. Hmm. I mean, that's a reflection of her personal history.
1: Yeah, and her trauma.
0: And her trauma. And that maybe also is worth mentioning that, like, mental illnesses are not interchangeable. hmm And that, like, they talk about... Charles and Gabrielle both talk about him, David, being like them and worry about it. And there's, like, a... It feels kind of like we are... Seeing it as a formula of like mentally ill mother, telepathic father, mentally ill telepathic kid, but her m- mental illness is trauma. Mm-hmm. And like, her mental illness is trauma. Trauma is not hereditary. <laughs> and like, except I know. Except
1: when it is. <laughs> except when it is. I mean, it's not necessarily in your DNA, but it's. Yeah. Might be. We don't even know. That's
0: true. But they can get transmitted in other ways
1: yes, other than DNA. Exactly. Hmm.
0: And like, let's also uh, be clear, the conversation I just alluded to of uh, David and Gabrielle worrying about the past, that isn't in this section. Worrying about David's future together, that isn't in this section. But Gabrielle worrying about David's future got me thinking about that.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right, so let's get into what... uh, Charles and Gabrielle and David and Sid. There's a whole, like, series of scenes here that is just, like, parallel. And it's, like, I mean, I assume that most people watching this caught on to that and noticed that. And then noticed even more when She Comes in Colors plays, because that's from the very first episode of of the show. But you might not watch quite as obsessively as we do, so...
0: Do you have a list?
1: There are... I don't have a solid list, but, like, them holding hands Mm -hmm. is, like, a parallel, like, almost exactly the same shot as David and Sid not holding hands, but holding the little strap between them. Yep. Uh, Sitting and eating cherry pie Mm -hmm. is something they do in multiple scenes in season one. Uh, Him sketching her happens. Uh, Dancing... They dance in this as an actual couple. Of course, David and Sid can never touch. And so everything they do in this is a, like the way a couple can actually do it and actually touch <laughs> each other. Like they stand on the balcony and look out in much the same way that David and Sid stood in a window and looked out. And it was almost like they were touching because their reflections were touching. And in this, they can just touch and they kiss for the first time.
0: Right. And those scenes, I think, exactly are paralleling each other.
1: Mm-hmm. The only thing they do that David and Sid don't do is they play chess, because this is Charles Xavier, and Charles Xavier plays chess.
0: The other, there's one more thing that you didn't, that's, I did make a list of the ones oh, okay. that stood out to me, and the only thing you didn't mention is the conversation, when the time comes, prove me wrong.
1: yeah. Is that a conversation they have? That's a conversation okay. Sid and David I have. Remember that. But
0: it's not the same thing. Hmm. Gabrielle says, we can't change. Charles says we can change, and she says, Do me a favor, anything. When the time comes, prove me wrong. That's not from season one when Sid and David are in the mental hospital, but it's an echo of a conversation they have in season two, episode eight, chapter sixteen. Uh when david and sid are like caught in a time loop in the desert and they go into this tent and they find this old couple who are dead
1: mm.
0: and right. uh they say well, you know maybe we could go grow old grow old there and sid says die like them every story ends the same says sid i don't believe that says david that's sweet do something for me anything when the time comes prove me wrong so it's kind of similar mm-hmm. things don't change yeah but in sid's case what she says is not so much people don't change as stories don't change right every story ends the same
1: mm-hmm. uh, gabrielle says the stars they belong to us and yeah i'm like what did, <laughs> what did the stars say? What Gabriel? did the
0: stars say, Gabrielle? What um, did say, so Gabrielle? that was interesting. <laughs> we're never going to hear what the stars said, just
1: <sighs> or maybe we will. No, we won't. It's not a mystery that they actually solve.
0: No. So all these parallels, I don't like though. I love all these parallels. I think they are fantastic. I don't like them kind of hitting us over the head with it, with David's line about like, oh, I guess it runs in the family.
1: Yeah, that kind of bugged me. That was heavy handed, I thought. That was, yeah. But yeah, when they struck up She Comes in Colors, though, my heart just like leaped. It was... Yeah. I just got, because I kept expecting it almost. Like it was expecting it and not expecting it at the same time. Yeah. And then there it was, and it was just like... This is the same. It's the same the story. Ah. So, yeah. So let me ask you a question. Yes. Have you heard of a tomato? <laughs> it's not an apple.
0: What is the deal with this tomato? It's not an apple.
1: So many things.
0: I know, so many right? Things.
1: I mean, it's showing her sheltering. It's showing how old in time this is, that tomatoes are not a common food. Although that, I don't think for... that that's...
0: It's sort of about time, but tomatoes were in Europe at this time. It's more, I think, like about uh, her ship being sheltered. Yeah.
1: Yeah. They're being like in a camp where she didn't have food. Yeah. Um. Also, I don't know. Somehow the image, even though we don't see any of it, the image of her biting into a tomato. Yeah. Feels like it would be very like bloody and visceral and, like, an image of of juicy juice going everywhere. And I feel like that evokes a mental image in me of, like, almost, like, horror, except humor in the same way.
0: Yeah, it's very... <laughs> like, you bite into a tomato is like biting into a living heart. Yeah. And in fact... Charles draws a heart that's a tomato.
1: Exactly.
0: And think about Walter in season one eating an apple very menacingly.
1: Yeah, that's right. So you're not
0: biting into an apple that's going, I'm a villain. You're biting into a heart, (laughs) I mean a tomato. And it's juice and guts and blood and soft and... Yeah. And it does, I think, you're... Right. It's an amazing example of we don't see this at all, but we still get the visual imagery of it.
1: Mm -hmm. So again, Gabrielle sits with David in the nursery. This time, Charles joins her. And David's voice is sad when he notices that this is his family and questions why they gave him away. Mm. Charles worries that he's passed on his telepathy to David and Gabrielle is worried he'll be like her. In the night, the disco music plays again, and David watches over his baby self, saying he'll protect him. Again, Gabrielle sits and writes her letter, saying the house is haunted and she's worried that the sickness is coming back, and speaking of a shadow on the move. Black smoke moves up the stairs. Gabrielle sits with David on the couch. On the TV, a man speaks Japanese, talking about going to bed. Flashes of David appear on the screen, warning her and telling her the devil is here. The phone rings and rings, and suddenly David Gabrielle is back at the table writing her letter, and we see that she's written nothing. She answers the phone, and it's Charles, who is barely hearable, but says that he's found Farouk and that he's a devil. Gabrielle begs him to come home. In Gabrielle, in her bed, hears the sound of David calling and we see flashes of Farouk, the devil with yellow eyes, and David. Baby David screams and cries, but Gabrielle is trapped in her room.
0: So, the the first of all, the person that Gabrielle hears talking on the TV isn't speaking Japanese. He's speaking Mandarin.
1: Really? Ugh, yeah. again. <laughs> I assumed that it was since it was okay. Never mind.
0: I I mean, like I'm. I know I'm much more interested in languages than most people are, but mm-hmm. it's funny to me because those two, I don't understand either of those languages, but they don't sound alike to me. Hmm. Uh, but in any case, what is Gabrielle
1: watching on TV <laughs> when this is guy ta- is speaking Mandarin? Bedtime is here. It's the same show that Switch is watching. I know. Well, I thought, was the man on the TV the same guy as her father?
0: I don't think
1: so. Okay.
0: Don't get a great look at her father's face.
1: Yeah, that's true.
0: But I don't think they're the same age. Okay. But, I mean, if you, listener, know better, correct us. I don't think it is.
1: Okay.
0: He says, have you brushed your teeth? They are here. (laughs) What?
1: Yeah, this isn't real. This isn't, like, what what she's actually watching, I don't think.
0: No, how could it be?
1: This is, I think, like this is Switch and David infiltrating the past.
0: Or something. That's mm-hmm. not Switch, though.
1: But Switch has the TV that says bedtime is here.
0: Yeah. And so, so it do we. could
1: be. <laughs> and so do we.
0: Like, our first episode starts with not Switch seeing bedtime is here. Uh, we see bedtime is here.
1: <laughs> but it's her TV. Yeah. That we see that on.
0: That's true, but it's also our TV.
1: <laughs> okay, I get your point.
0: <laughs> That's very strange.
1: Yeah. This is a time, like, that I'm feeling a little bit more like this is David from end of season one, or just, like, a David that I feel super sympathetic for is he's watching his parents, and he's, like, again with, like, how come they gave me away? Yeah. This is my family. These are my parents. This is me. We're all kind of together and happy. What happened? Even though he knows what happened. Except he
0: doesn't, Except really. he doesn't. Because he knows that the Shadow King comes, but that doesn't explain why they give him away. Yeah. It only, in fact, makes it worse that they give him away.
1: Mm-hmm. When
0: they need When he needs them. And I don't know the answer either, David.
1: <laughs> I have some theories, but... Like, we'll get to that at the end.
0: In the chalkboard scene in season one, he says, "Like, why didn't they want me?" No, that's not important. Something else is important right now, and here he dwells on that question a little longer. Yeah, I think appropriately.
1: Yeah, this is the time to dwell on it. Yeah, yeah. They're both worried, uh, Charles and Gabrielle, that they'll eat that he'll be like them in the. Mutant power and in the mental illness. And guess what? He's like both of them.
0: I feel like often we have, you know, oh, poor you. You have an amazing superpower. But we've seen in this episode that Charles's telepathy, like, causes him... Yeah, actual problems. Actual problems and, like, moral problems, Mm -hmm. right? When he says he wants David to be like Gabrielle instead of like him, I think he... Recognizes how creepy, how unnerving, how upsetting he is, how he's on the verge of being a monster. That's yep. There's something in the way that he says that Farouk, he's nothing like me, he's a monster. Mm-hmm. Is like, uh, I mean, if you take my courses about monsters, you'll know that one of the purposes of monsters is to define in in storytelling is to define boundary lines so that we understand who we are by contrast by telling stories about things that don't qualify as humans so that we can define ourselves in contrast to them and understand what humanity means which is to say that it is really important to Charles that Farouk is a monster and that is not like David and that is not like Charles mm-hmm. because that's how Charles can know for sure that he isn't a monster
1: right right that makes sense
0: that discovering Farouk is actually extremely useful to Charles. Mm-hmm. Because otherwise, Charles is worried that he's a monster. Yeah. And that's part of the purpose of this flashback where he kills a guy. Yeah. Whether he actually does or not. And that makes more sense of, I hope he's not like me, is not because telepathy makes my life hard. It's because telepathy might make me monstrous. Mm-hmm. And I don't want him to be monstrous. I'd rather him be traumatized than a traumatizer.
1: Yeah. That's a good point. The phone ringing. Everything about this episode is like a horror movie. It was very unsettling to watch. I am not a big, like, horror person. And so, like... Not that, the, I mean, it's not like this show has been short on horror in the past, but this was very horror movie, and something about a phone that won't stop ringing, like an old-timey phone like that, is just scary. Why is it scary? I don't know. Answer the dang phone.
0: <laughs> I mean, a phone that won't stop ringing is unsettling because phone, especially that kind of phone ring, is a demand on your, on your mm-hmm. attention, and... It's one of the reasons why people find, it's one of the reasons why people uh, today in our generation and below find texting more polite than calling, Mm -hmm. because calling is respond to me immediately.
1: (laughs) Yeah, exactly.
0: And when people don't respond immediately, there's a, like, they're really violating a social convention. Yeah. And that just, it feels like the world is not the way it's supposed to be. Yeah. It's also the phone is very, like, in this episode, the phone ring is very intrusive on this quiet house that unsettlingly quiet. Mm -hmm. And then the phone ring and you can't stop it and you can't turn it off and you don't invite it. It just comes into your house.
1: Yeah. And then this letter that we've heard her writing, seen her writing several scenes, you finally see the paper and all it says is like, the beginning of Charles's name and then a pen line down the paper.
0: And it's again they're playing with the tropes of television. That we have a narrative we see her sitting at a piece of paper and we have a voiceover. Mm-hmm. And that does not mean she's writing that.
1: Well her but pen we see was that moving trope so paper. often. Yeah.
0: We see that trope so often that we take for granted that it means that she's writing it.
1: Yeah. Does she think she's writing it, though? I'm sure she does. Exactly.
0: Yeah. And then in her moment of, like, okay, this whole episode is about doors that aren't where they're supposed to be. Mm Mm-hmm. And the doors to the house are suddenly open. Yep. And then she's in her room and the doors that lead out of her room have disappeared. Yeah. There's a door out in the walkway earlier that shouldn't be there. There's the open doors of the house that should be closed. Mm -hmm. So the door isn't where it should be.
1: And there's like red light behind the door. Yeah. Which is a sign that Farouk is coming.
0: And the open door, the door that should keep someone out is open, isn't there in the sense that it's letting someone in. Mm
1: -hmm. And
0: the door that should be there to let someone in (laughs) isn't there. That liminal spaces are about transitioning from one place to another and they doorways are so symbolically rich because they are both what lets you through and what stops you from going through yeah so when a door disappears sometimes that means things can get through that shouldn't and sometimes mm-hmm. it means things can't get through that should and doors do both of those things they yeah. function in both an open and a closed position <laughs> <laughs>
1: Yes, exactly. Uh, it is weird that she goes to bed, like, it's, I guess that the timeline is very unclear, that, like, she's unsettled and writing a letter, and then suddenly she's in bed. Like, why are you going to bed? Yeah. Well, you have to sleep sometime. I guess you have to sleep sometime. Especially when you got a baby. Yeah. Um, the room that she is trapped in is octagon-shaped. It is. So... We've seen a lot of hexagons. Mm-hmm. We've seen a lot of circles. Mm-hmm. This season, we're kind of seeing some new shapes. We're seeing octagons. We're seeing the door. The glass of the door was all triangles. And so, like, we're just seeing some new things. Some new... Uh, it's not a consistent background shape that we can go like, Oh, hey, this season, it's, you know, Dohecatedrons. <laughs> it's
0: that's that's not a real thing. Does...
1: Could be. Dodecathedrons? Dodecahedrons, I oh, said. Oh, that's not what you said though. <laughs> Dodecohedrons. That's it. a real thing. Edit it so I'm sa- sa- say that, okay? Sure. Um <laughs> It's not a certain shape in the background. There's it's kind of a variety, and I feel like that's uh making letting us like like you've been saying, it's like telling the audience hey this is a tv show we can do whatever we want don't expect us to stick with what's we've done in the past yeah this is a whole new season
0: and i kind of want to like the octagon shape octagons are most recognizably a stop sign yeah but i don't know if i want to read
1: i don't know if you can read that much into that
0: i don't think so just say that
1: Mm -hmm. so she finally bursts from the room to a screaming David in his crib, but every time she tries to turn him over, it's the back of his head. She screams at him to stop, and finally he does. Adult David appears and says, Mommy, but in the Devil with Yellow Eyes voice. Gabrielle faints, and Charles enters and pushes David away with his thoughts. David flies away back into the between space, between time, followed by Switch, who collapses. David is desperate to go back, but Switch is exhausted and bleeding. She rips her tooth out and says that it was it was too far, and she collapses. David glows and screams, saying that they have to go back. Charles holds an unconscious Gabrielle, as a shadow behind him goes in to baby David. We go through David's eye and see Farouk holding baby on David on his lap, calling him his beautiful boy.
0: So, first thought about this section is, <clears throat> let me check my notes. Uh, God, baby with no face, baby with no face, baby with no face, baby with no face, baby with no face.
1: With no face. <laughs> yep. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Something that you turn around and still the back of their head is like so creepy. That's in oh, what movie? The the Eternal, Eternal Sunshine. Sunshine. Yeah, Eternal Sunshine, Spotless Mind. They have that, and it's creepy. So creepy. But at least in that, it's not a baby. I know, I know.
0: Oh, oh that's it doesn't so... last
1: very long. Thankfully, oh. I think he, but...
0: she only flips him once.
1: No, it's twice. Um,
0: we see three face, three yeah. backs of heads.
1: It's it's also unsettling, like as a as a parent, and knowing that like when a baby is lying on their face, it's like that's that's your worst nightmare <laughs> kind of thing. Yeah. And so like to not be able to flip your baby over is just it's that's hard to watch as a parent as a person as a whatever that's just hard to watch yeah it's
0: so upsetting
1: yeah <laughs> um
0: why is David monstrous when Gabrielle and Charles see him like he speaks in the devil with yellow eyes his voice and he even like his face is kind of uh it's not Burned the way that. um, Clark? It's not burned the way that Clark's is, but he has like a half of his face is wrong. Hmm. It doesn't look like the devil with the yellow eyes' face. It doesn't look like Ferg's face, but it is most reminiscent of Clark's kind of two sides of his face. Yeah. So he speaks in a monstrous voice. He looks monstrous. I kept expecting it like maybe he was gonna be some kind of amalgam of David and switch but no he's just David scary yeah why is he scary is that st- the influence of Farouk still on him he is speaking yeah. as if he's the devil with yellow eyes
1: yeah he's definitely it feels like this season we're bringing back the devil's yellow eyes. And so like, it's still somehow it's around and I mean, it's time travel. And so like the shadow is there already. The baby is there. He's there. It's just, everything's getting all jumbled up together. He's not supposed to be there. We,
0: you and I, and I have thought from the beginning that the devil with the yellow eyes was Farouk
1: yeah, but what if it's not
0: but what if it's not? What if getting Farouk out of David's head does not mean getting the yellow eye- devil with yellow eyes out of David's head? What if the devil with the yellow eyes is David, not Farouk, or something else
1: that is possible, that is very possible. Because David has all these personalities inside of his head, and we've only seen them manifested as other Dan Stevens's, other Davids. Yeah. But there could be.
0: Although, when Charles finds Farouk, he sees the devil with the yellow eyes. Yes, that's also true. So, maybe not. But again, like, there are. Farouk also has multiple people in his head. Yes. So. You know, you ever try to make soup, you ever try to unmake soup, we're wound together. You get Farouk out of David's head, but maybe they never got the devil with yellow eyes out of his head.
1: Yes, exactly. What I think happens is that she never comes back. Yeah. I don't think she dies, but I think she's back in the mental institution in her wheelchair catatonic, and there's no coming back from it. And that's why Charles gives away David. It's because he can't take care of him without Ooh. her.
0: And maybe that's also why the times are linked, because David and S- uh, Switch are wrong about what time they're at.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: They have come to Gabri- Gabrielle in the mental hospital the second time, and they're seeing in her mind flashes back to when she was out of the hospital and flashes further back to when she was in it the first time.
1: Yep. I think that could be what it is.
0: And so we're confused. We think that we're only seeing them in the mental hospital once, but actually they're in it twice. Once where she, where they're both patients and once where only Gabrielle is.
1: Yeah.
0: Huh. Especially
1: like the, yeah, the the very beginning when it's like, am I still there? I think that's the future. That's where they are watching her from.
0: Now I want to watch this episode a third, fourth
1: (laughs) time. (laughs) Something like that. (laughs) There's also, um, see, and I mean, the comics in this show are fair, like pretty loosey goosey, but Farouk is the one who puts Charles in his wheelchair. Yeah, is in he the not? Comics. Yep. And when we see uh, Amy remembering mm-hmm. David arriving, we get a flash of that wheelchair. So at some point between Gabrielle fainting and possibly being catatonic again, Farouk is going to do something to put David in a wheelchair, except Farouk is now completely within David.
0: To put Charles in a wheelchair, yeah. To put
1: Charles in a wheelchair.
0: Yeah, I was really surprised to see Charles come back from confronting Farouk, to see Farouk in David and Charles still walking. Yeah, exactly. Because, I mean, like, as you said, just because Farouk puts Charles in the wheelchair in the comics doesn't mean that he does in the time frame of the show. But we do... David is still a baby. Mm Mm-hmm.
1: Or an... You know. Did we see how old he is when he comes to Amy? No, we never do, but we definitely get the strong impression that he is very, very young. Yeah. I mean, he certainly doesn't remember it.
0: No. And by then, Charles is in a wheelchair. Mm Mm-hmm. And we have, from back in season one, we had this sense that David had done something to his mother. Mm Mm-hmm. And maybe this right thou is it is it
1: yeah that's why i think that the angriest boy doll is conflated with the with gabrielle because this is what he did to gabrielle right so throughout this episode david keeps being called my boy my beautiful boy mm-hmm. He called that throughout it by gabrielle and then at the very end by farouk um we heard this before in uh season one episode four except it was probably Amy's voice. I listened to it several times and it really sounds like it's Amy's voice saying it because we didn't have a a solid, you know, voice for any of these people yet. But it's just in various flashes of David's childhood that basically we see in this episode. Right. We hear Amy's voice. We hear lots of voiceovers, but we hear, do we hear a voice saying... My boy, my beautiful boy. And so we know that he has memory of that. And it turns out it's not nothing to do with Amy and those his adoptive parents. It's his original mother. And then it's what Farouk calls him.
0: Yeah. What is the, like, man that Farouk calls him the same thing that Gabrielle does? It's, like, this very unsettling. The relationship between Farouk and David is, like, antagonistic parent child and uh sometimes erotic
1: (laughs) he's definitely like i mean he he said i tried to make you love me yeah and like this is so clear that he's like well i'm gonna be if i act like his mother he'll love me yep no wonder david is so messed up
0: in that last scene uh Where Charles, or the second last scene, Charles and Gabrielle are both wearing white. Hmm. They hadn't been wearing white previously. No. And we see the smoke. Did you... I didn't notice till my second time through. We see the smoke going into David, but we also see Farouk's sunglasses dimly on the wall.
1: Hmm. I didn't notice that.
0: And then we see into David's mind and Farouk is also wearing white. Hmm. So David... So, Charles, Gabrielle, and Farouk, in those last, like, 30 seconds of show, are all wearing the same color.
1: Hmm. That is interesting. Speaking of colors, uh, the clothing color I just want to draw attention to. I can't remember if we mentioned it at the beginning of of this episode, because we are recording this over a couple of days. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Gabrielle is in green. In yes. se- not, ev- not all the time, but in several key moments, she is wearing green in the exact same way that Amy wore green in season one. And it's very like green is home and this is David's home. This is David's mom. She's wearing green.
0: Are there any other uh, elements of costuming? That are... Do we do we want to move on? Or are we... Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm okay. good to move on. So are there any other elements of costuming
1: that you want to talk about? Not specifically. I think we already mentioned that it's very grey and very uh, drab, especially in the mental hospital. Nothing like the oranges that we see in Clockworks. No, I don't think I... Do you have something to say about the music in this episode?
0: There is a lot of there music in this episode. There is a lot of
1: music in this episode. The first thing
0: we hear, the first music we hear is What? by Captain Sensible, and I'm saying what, because the name, it's W-O-T, is the title of the song. That is the music that is in David's present, that Gabrielle, and possibly Charles, but definitely Gabrielle, keeps hearing. And the words, I'm like, I'll read, it's, yeah, so the lyrics of that song... When I woke up this morning, I was feeling fine, but this cat starts banging, man, what a swine. So I called reception, but to no avail, and that's why I'm telling you this sorry tale. It went bang, I said shut up. It went bang, I said wrap up. Well, I'm aware that this guy must do his work, but the pile driver man drove me berserk. He said, captain, I said what? He said, captain, I said what? What do you want?
1: Um. Swine, hey? Yeah, <laughs> I think that's just coincidence. But I think that's swine. kind of. I think
0: that is just a coincidence. But it is. I mean, it is a hallmark of surrealism that things gain this kind of importance that they're unearned. Yeah. Right. Suddenly, we have this big meaning to swine, and what does it mean? Probably nothing.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Certainly, I think in this song, nothing. But that's exactly that feeling that things are important when they're not is what is the dreamlike logic of surrealism. Mm
1: -hmm. Uh,
0: Also, in this song, like the idea of I woke up this morning and I was feeling fine, but someone's banging. But the phone keeps ringing and the doors keep going and there's noises that I don't want. And there's someone's trying to get my attention. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I don't want to pay attention. And it's Gabrielle who keeps someone's trying to get her attention. Yep. Um, And it's David. And it's David. As Charles is wandering around the psychiatric hospital, he is reading Gabrielle's mind. hmm And we hear a song called Nothing to Worry About by the Texas Gypsies. Nothing to Worry About goes, We ain't got nothing to worry about. We won't be doing time. The cops ain't never gonna figure it out. It was the perfect crime. I grabbed the gold and I'm here to say that we made a clean getaway. We ain't got nothing. We got nothing to worry about. I left no fingerprints on the gun, the witness can't say a word. I tripped the fire alarm just for fun, I tell you nobody heard. Just be cool, man, don't freak out. We had a plan and it was well thought out. We got nothing, we got nothing to worry about. We ain't got nothing to worry about, we can beat the rap. I won't say nothing to rat us out, don't fail the polygraph. A trench coat makes a quick disguise, if they catch you just act surprised. And we've got nothing, we got nothing to worry about. We ain't got nothing to worry about. They wouldn't hear our plea. And now they got us where we can't get out. They threw away the key. A jagged edge makes a perfect knife when you're facing 99 to life. We got nothing. We got nothing to worry about. So. Okay. (laughs) I mean, I read the entire thing because it's a story. Uh. And because I think the entire, we don't hear the whole song, but I think the whole song is relevant because the, the chorus, We Got Nothing to Worry About, is while Charles is trying to read Gabrielle's mind and she is uh, suffering from her trauma mm-hmm. and he's telling her you've got nothing to worry about. That's like his message to her. It's okay. Yeah. But the song is a song about uh, unearned confidence. Mm-hmm. The characters in the song actually do have something to worry about and things get worse and worse and they think that they have escaped. They think that they have a good plan. This is David coming back thinking that he's going to prevent Farouk from inhabiting his mind. He thinks he's got a good plan and things do not work out and things get worse and worse. This Mm -hmm. is Charles thinking that he's going to cure Gabrielle and then he abandons her to mental trauma. This is things spin out of control in this episode because the plans aren't actually very good and because the characters think they've got nothing to worry about, but actually they have a lot to worry about.
1: Yeah. Just when you were saying that, it made me think of... uh, Charles wants to use his power to help people and he influences their brains to help them. So he, like, brings Gabrielle out of her catatonic state. That's, like, exactly what David is doing... In his cult. That's true. He thinks he's helping people by removing their pain and whatever, but like, he's not.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're exactly right. It's even the same words he uses.
1: Mm-hmm. When he's
0: talking to Sid, he says, I help people. That's what Charles says. Yep. And I think that in the logic of the show, that doesn't make us trust Charles more.
1: No, exactly. <laughs> yeah.
0: Or, or, I mean, that doesn't... Seeing that Charles is like David doesn't make us think that maybe David is right. It makes us think maybe Charles is wrong.
1: Yeah, exactly. Exactly.
0: As Charles and Gabrielle are falling in love, we hear True Love Will Find You in the End by Daniel Johnston. It goes, True love will find you in the end. You'll find out just who was your friend. Don't be sad. I know you will. Don't give, but don't give up until true love will find you in the end. This is a promise with a catch. Only if you're looking can it find you. Because true love is searching too, but how can it recognize you if you don't step out into the light? The light. Don't be sad. I know you will. Don't give up until true love will find you in the end. And again, it's like a sweet song about true love.
1: It seems so sweet.
0: Uh, The idea that true love will only find you if you're looking for it, there is, through this episode, people looking for each other. Mm. Farouk looking for David, David looking for his mother, and they're trying to, f- and father, but mostly mother, and they're trying to find each other, and David's not finding Gabrielle because she's not looking for him. The promise with a catch true love will find you in the end, but only if you're looking for it. Mm hmm. We have She's a Rainbow by the Rolling Stones while Charles and uh, Gabrielle leave the mental hospital. I'm not going to read all the lyrics of that because we heard it way back in the very first episode of this whole entire show and the words are the same as they used to be. But some of the words, some of the lyrics, she comes in colors everywhere, she combs her hair, she's like a rainbow. The idea here... I think the idea here makes a lot more sense with Sid than it does with Gabrielle as the she. Mm-hmm. So the purpose, I would say, here is to call back to that first one, not yeah. to reflect in any uh, deep way on Gabrielle's character. It does reflect a lot on Sid's character. In fact, more than we knew at the time, because she comes in different colors. Sid changes who she is. Mm-hmm. Um. But. I don't think it's actually revealing something about Gabrielle. What do you think?
1: No, I don't think necessarily. It might be revealing more about Charles's feelings about her.
0: Yes, that's true. And in the context of the mental hospital is so grey and black and white. Yeah. And Gabrielle comes in colours. Mm-hmm. And finally, as Farouk is rocking David, the song that plays is Mon Enfance by Jacques Brel. It is a French lyric, the, the lyrics are all in French, and the song, the we hear just a little fragment of it, but some of the lyrics, My childhood passed in silent greyness, in mm. false respectfulness, in a lack of battles. In the winter I was held in the belly of a large house that had thrown the anchor to the north and amid the seagrass mats. Hmm. My childhood passed, la 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 la, and then it ends, and then the war arrived, and here we are tonight.
1: Hmm. Yeah, that seems about right. <laughs> yeah.
0: I mean, I don't know the war what. arrived. <laughs> I don't know what to uh, dig out in there that isn't pretty much on the surface. Yeah. It's about David's childhood, and the war arrived, and here we are
1: tonight. Those are the songs mm-hmm. in this episode of Legion. I feel like there's probably a thousand things that we missed that we could talk about more. Yeah. Um this was a very difficult episode to watch, to, uh, to be honest. It was one of the most difficult so far because, because it was so it had so much horror movie tropes and scariness to me that I just <laughs> I really struggled with this one. There was no, uh, like, we've had a horror, but it's album with, like, Lenny. And yeah. that's somehow less scary to me when it's Aubrey Plaza holding my hand through it. So uh, we'll see how we do for the future episodes and having to rewatch things over and over.
0: Cause... I mean, there's different kinds of horror, and I hadn't quite known this about you, but monsters apparently less scary than just empty house yes absolutely this is the first time we've had empty house horror in this show
1: yeah exactly and it's freaking me out (laughs) (laughs) all right well i think that's about it i think that's about it
0: if you've got thoughts about this episode as jan just said we i'm sure didn't cover everything for so many reasons, including that this was, as we've said a couple of times, a really disjointed recording of this episode of Clockworks. So, contact us, let us know your thoughts, give us your insights, we would absolutely love to hear them. You can do that on Twitter, at ClockworksCast. If you'd rather do that privately, you can send us an email, clockworkscast at gmail.com. And then you can find us on social media places... That'll be linked in the show notes. If you like what we do making this show about Legion, consider liking and... sub. Please rate, review, tell your friends so that more people who like Legion can also like Clockworks. That would be fantastic. And if you really like it, you can support us on Patreon for a dollar a month or more, and that'll help us keep doing it. Anything else to
1: add, say, or... Patreon.com slash ClockworksCast.
0: Yeah, that'd be helpful.
1: That's how you do that there. (laughs) It's also
0: linked in the show notes, though.
1: That is also true.
0: So, I've been Paul Moffat.
1: I've been Jan Moffat.
0: Goodbye.